0: This comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and behold Jesus met them and said greetings and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him then Jesus said to them do not be afraid go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me as we get started with the
1: sermon i want to begin with some numbers first first 1,418,920 As of April 7th, when I was preparing this sermon, this was the number of cases of COVID-19 throughout the world. 81,506. Again, as of April 7th, this was the number of fatalities because of COVID-19. When we slow down and we let ourselves actually be human, we will feel the grief and sadness at the exponential increase in death during this pandemic. How can we remain desensitized to the headlines and pictures of refrigerator trucks and army trucks going to hospitals uh, to help remove corpses because the hospitals can't handle the overwhelming influx of uh, virus victims. And of course there's all kinds of other fallout, economic fallout, social and mental fallout. And I have friends who have lost their jobs and, and are experiencing anxiety because of all the fallout of this pandemic. And yet here we are, Easter Sunday, or my favorite name for Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, when we celebrate that simple historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And yet we have to admit that this is one of the strangest Easter Sundays in a long time. Even as we celebrate Jesus conquering of death, that celebration is challenged by the dark thick cloud of death that blankets the world. And for Christ followers, for Christians specifically, we have the added pangs of not worshiping together, of worshiping through a device, watching a screen. And we are being the opposite of what we're meant to be, to be a gathered people, physically together, worshiping and celebrating. Online worship is better than nothing, but it is far less than ideal. And yet, here we are at Easter, and all the more We are called to look to Jesus and his resurrection to find hope in these times. And so I suggest and offer to you an age-old soul-searching question. What is your ultimate hope in the face of life and death? What is your ultimate hope in the face of this pandemic and COVID-19? And I want to tell you the good news today that Easter speaks pronounced hope to our situation and to that big question. But don't be mistaken, Easter is not just meant to be uh, just a little bit of inspiration for this afternoon, or just a little bit more inspiration to motivate us for one more day. No, Easter and placing our faith in this historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it is meant to explode in our hearts and to transform us from the inside out, but not just as a psychology for this life, but It speaks to a reality, uh, an eternity, a real eternity, a real life after death. Easter's very nature is all about that, isn't it? Jesus himself having come to this earth, living a human life, dying a human death on the cross for our sins, and God raising him up by the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ uh, rising again from death to his new and final eternal life. Now, all the accounts of the resurrection are very simple. They're very to the point. There is no pomp about it. They are just recording simple facts because in point of fact, that's what it is. It's simple fact. It's simple history that Jesus rose from the dead. What I want to do today, and uh, we had read Matthew 28, which is that simple account according to Matthew's gospel of Jesus rising from the dead. But what I want to do is to go back five days before the resurrection to the Tuesday before Jesus was crucified, the Tuesday before he would rise again from the dead. And what we see during that Holy Week on that Tuesday in Matthew chapter 22, uh, we're going to look at uh, three uh, exchanges that Jesus has. And Jesus speaks to the meaning behind that simple historical fact that he would rise from the dead, that he has risen from the dead. And Jesus explains the meaning behind his resurrection. And so what I hope for you and me, that where the rubber of faith meets the road of life is that we begin to want to pray to God, to speak to him by faith and to follow him. And so I hope that you'll want to pray with me by the end of this sermon, a prayer along these lines. Lord, help me to understand and be transformed From the inside out, by your resurrection, by this simple historical fact that happened several thousand years ago, a few thousand years ago, that it would change my life, not only for here and now, but it would change the course of my eternity. And so I want to answer for the rest of this sermon uh, the question what does Jesus want us to understand about what we read in Matthew 28? And Jesus points to it, he begins to explain giving. Clues in advance, understanding in advance that his disciples would look back upon to understand what would happen on this glorious Easter day. And I want to show you uh, four things from Matthew 22. First, that Jesus's resurrection is a love story. And Jesus's resurrection is a warning. And Jesus's resurrection is a mind-blowing eternity. And finally, Jesus's resurrection is our only ultimate hope. And so first, Jesus's resurrection is a love story. Friends, whether you are already a Christ follower or whether you are still investigating, if you want to understand genuine Christianity, true Christianity, you have to understand that one way to understand it is that Jesus and his resurrection and the gospel and what he's inviting us to is the great love story of the universe. Jesus's resurrection is the great love story of history and all time to come. And we see this metaphor being repeated all throughout scripture. And here again in Matthew 22, in this first exchange on this Tuesday, we see Jesus offering this metaphor for his resurrection. We pick up at verse one and we read, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. A parable is a story with a meaning. And saying that the kingdom of heaven, meaning eternity, the resurrection life, may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And so there it is, plain and simple. Jesus' resurrection, the kingdom of heaven, is like a wedding feast. It's a love story. And the king in Jesus' parable represents God the Father. And the son represents Jesus, who is the prince, the prince of peace. And what we see in eternity is that God's longing is to see his son, Jesus Christ, to be united with the love of his life. We know that the love of Jesus' life is his bride, the church. The church universal is every believer, every believer who has placed genuine faith in Christ in all time. And finally, one day we'll be all gathered together and be united with Christ, our head, our king. And so Jesus explains that his resurrection is a love story. It's a story of a wedding feast and his wedding. And so Jesus goes on to tell the story. Tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Jesus is explaining that when we celebrate Easter, we're to be reminded of the invitation to be part of this story. And Jesus's description here of the lavishness of the father in celebrating his son's wedding and union with his bride, that God goes, just imagine 10,000 royal weddings on earth and the celebrations and, and the whole nine yards, all the delicacies and decorations and and no expense being spared what god is doing jesus is describing that god goes infinitely beyond that that is this joyous of an occasion and so put yourself in jesus's shoes remember this is his last week this tuesday is three days before he would be crucified on the friday and so jesus is thinking of his impending death for the sins of humanity taking our place on the cross And he knows that he'll be forsaken by the Father on that cross. And so even our Christ, he was looking to comfort in the face of life and death. And so it's not surprising that as he explains his story and what he hopes to happen, this is a comfort for Christ to speak of what he hopes for, of how his story will uh, find its conclusion with this wedding feast in the very end. But another comfort for Christ then, for this story to unfold this way, Jesus needs to believe that his Father will indeed raise him from the dead, that he'll be raised from the dead, and that his sacrificial love on the cross will be redeemed, it will be vindicated, and he will surely be able to experience the conclusion even as he's telling this story to his listeners. So for you and me, then, what does this mean? So what? I want you to imagine your favorite movie, your favorite movie. And behind every great movie, there's a great script. Behind every great script, there's a great screenwriter. But in every great movie, there are great actors who are willing to immerse themselves and even believe that they are the character that they are playing out. If you and I are to... Uh, experience all the benefits, the, the joy, the power, the hope of Jesus' resurrection, we as well need to immerse ourselves by faith to believe that we are the bride that Jesus is pursuing. We need to see ourselves in this resurrection love story. And not just to pretend, but it can become a reality. It is a reality for those who place faith in Christ and his gospel. I want you to know that Jesus has been pursuing his church, his bride, through all time. And the invitation to this wedding feast still goes out. And so I love this thought. Jesus' resurrection means the ultimate love story is approaching its glorious conclusion. A real and true happily ever after. Jesus's resurrection, that simple historical fact that we read in Matthew 28 that happened a few thousand years ago, it needs to remind us every time we celebrate this, every Easter, that this great love story now is approaching its glorious conclusion. Don't you want that? That's what Jesus's resurrection offers if we choose to accept his invitation But even as Jesus is hoping for his own wedding feast, there's a sadness and a somberness to his love story because Jesus' resurrection is also a warning. It's a warning that we need to heed. Jesus continues to uh, tell the story, picking up in verse five, but they paid no attention, meaning those people that the invitations initially went out, and they paid no attention to this invitation to come to this wedding feast, and they went off, and now pay attention to Jesus' description of what they did. They went off, one to his farm, another to his business, and then there were those who were even antagonistic, and the rest, these antagonistic people, they seized the servants of the king, and they treated them shamefully, even killing them. Now, this is an apt description, because this, we, we are guilty of this, even in 2020, we are, these people are so full of ourselves. We can become so full of ourselves, our busy lives, so full of this present life, monitoring our stocks, taking our children to the next extracurricular program, the next sports league. We can become so caught up with our jobs and, and our whatever pursuits in life, our vacations and so forth that we completely miss out on God's invitation to the truest joy the truest love story, the truest life. And so now we begin to see the warning aspect here. Jesus continues to tell this parable. And in verse seven, the king, the father God was angry and he sent his troops to deal with all those who initially rejected the the invitation. And Jesus describes them saying, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Jesus is saying, and God the Father is saying definitively, this wedding feast will happen. Eternity will come. Everyone will one day finally pass from this life to the next. And this wedding feast will happen. Jesus will be united with his bride, the church, in eternity. I want to connect this to what's going on in our lives right now in these times of the pandemic. And there's a UK columnist, George Monbiot, who writes for The Guardian. And reflecting on the pandemic, he writes uh, this reflection. We have been living in a bubble, a bubble of false comfort and denial. In the rich nations, we have begun to believe we have transcended the material world. The wealth we've accumulated, often at the expense of others, has shielded us from reality. Living behind screens, passing between capsules, our houses, cars, offices, and shopping malls, we persuaded ourselves that contingency in any unexpected chaos has retreated, that we had reached the point all civilizations seek, insulation from natural hazards. Now the membrane has ruptured, and we find ourselves naked and outraged. The temptation when this pandemic has passed will be just to find another bubble. We cannot afford to succumb to that, to just create another bubble for ourselves. And here's mombio's exhortation. From now on, we should expose our minds to the painful realities we have denied for too long. Monbiot is saying something similar to Jesus' parable. In Jesus' parable, there were those who were in a bubble of their busy life, attending to their business, attending to their farm, attending to whatever they defined as the bubble of happiness and control in their lives. And Monbiot is saying something similar, that we have been living a life in a bubble and now this pandemic has burst it. What Jesus would say then, according to Jesus Christ... The most painful reality, Monbiot is is exhorting us to face these painful realities and wake up to realities. But according to Jesus Christ, the most painful reality that you and I have been denying for too long is not epidemiological or scientific or medical or financial or social. No, the most painful reality that we've been denying for too long is spiritual and eternal You see, there's a pandemic that has been going on even far longer than COVID-19. But it's not a a physical pandemic. It's a spiritual one. And it's been just wrecking uh, havoc on humanity and our hearts since the fall of man. And it's sin. It's the spiritual virus of sin. And we need to wake up to this painful reality. There's a warning in Jesus' love story. And Jesus continues to unfold this warning. Let's continue to read his parable here and picking up in verse 9. And so now he wants to go out and extend this invitation to everyone and everyone. And so the story continues. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found. And I love that Jesus says it this way both bad and good. Do you see Jesus' far-reaching heart? It doesn't matter your moral record. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your skin color, your ethnic background, your culture, your socioeconomic demographic, both bad and good. Everyone and everyone is invited. But here's the warning then, as Jesus continues to tell the parable in verse 11 but when the king came in to look at the guests he saw there a man, there was a man who had no wedding garments he wasn't properly dressed and he said to him friend how did you get in here without a wedding garment and he was speechless then the king said to the attendants bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. I can't water down Jesus's words here. Jesus is saying, in metaphor, he is speaking to this friend without the proper wedding garment being cast to hell. And we need to understand what Jesus means. We know that. What Jesus means by the proper wedding garment is that we need to be covered in a righteousness to be acceptable in the presence of God, in the presence of this king. And so this garment, concretely speaking, is to be covered by the righteousness of Christ by faith, to be able to willing to assent intellectually and to believe from the depths of our heart that we need Jesus and his work and what he did on the cross taking our place as a sinless sacrifice. And as we place our faith in Christ, his righteousness is our garment. It's what covers us and makes us acceptable and uh, uh, just to have permission to stay in this good eternity to partake of this wedding feast. Friend, every Easter, is not only a reminder of this great love story, but it serves as a warning. The fact of Jesus' resurrection, that simple fact that he rose from the dead, it warns us of an eternal reckoning to come. We've all been invited to this wedding feast. And all the more, there's a specific warning here for those who call themselves Christians. But if our word and conduct And from the sincerity of our hearts, we are not seeking to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. We are certainly going to stumble and fall. But as long as there is that that longing in our hearts, that humbledness to continue to cling to Christ and to be longing for his grace, in need of his grace, to pick us up every time, that is evidence that we have Christ's righteousness covering us that humble dependency on his grace every easter also serves as a warning will we find ourselves in the proper wedding garment enjoying jesus's wedding feast in eternity and welcomed not only as his cherished guests but truly as his bride well jesus also then wants us to understand that his resurrection that simple fact that we read in matthew 28 that he rose from the dead, it promises a mind-blowing eternity. It, it causes our imaginations to explode at what we are waiting for to see uh, come to fruition in life after death. Something that I've been hearing uh, being spoken by many people during this time of pandemic, and that I, I so appreciate this positive thought, and it has even personally encouraged me. And, and many people saying, we're going to get through this. We'll get through this. And while I hope that we do get through this pandemic and all of us rebound from how, whatever fallout we're experiencing. And that there will be many good, uh, many more good days before us in our life here on this earth. While I hope for that, I think the wisest question to ask during this time is, what if we don't get through this? More bluntly, what if we die? What are we gonna face? What is waiting for us on the other side? To put it differently, do I believe in eternity? Do I believe in life after death? And if I do, then I don't wanna just have wishful thinking, oh, it's I'm just hoping that I'll end up in good eternity, that I'll end up in God's grace. That I'll just somehow end up there. And God, he, he's, he's just only full of love and doesn't have any justice to him. And everything will be okay. We can't just wishfully think that. We need to know truly what lies for us. And we need to seek a revealed truth. We need to look to Christ. And, and so here on that Tuesday, there was another exchange after the story another religious political group called the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in a resurrection. And they wanted to confront Jesus about this. And so being cheeky, they uh, proposed sort of a mind experiment for Jesus. And they said, and I'll just put it in uh, 2020 language, they said, paraphrasing, Jesus, okay, well, if there is a resurrection and someone during their life on earth that they were remarried seven times, then in eternity, in the resurrection, uh, who, which spouse of those seven spouses will they spend eternity with? And Jesus, he is so simple, so straightforward, and I love his answer. We'll pick up in verse 29, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong, you are wrong. Don't you love that? Jesus gets right to the point, puts them in their place because he knows the truth. And he explains to them, because you neither know the scriptures, meaning we can't just make up our own ideas of eternity. We need to look to a revealed truth. And, and that's what a Christ follower believes, that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, that God has inspired these 66 books and, and orchestrated them coming together in history and that they are God's revealed truth. We don't have to speculate anymore because God has provided this revelation. And Jesus says, you need to study the scriptures and you don't know the power of God that he can actually raise people from the dead. And so notice in verse 30, Jesus says, for in the resurrection, the resurrection then is a synonym for eternity. It's a synonym for the new world and our life in this new world, this recreated new earth and new heavens, what we sometimes call new creation. And so Jesus is affirming life after death. But I want you to notice what Jesus says next in verse 34. For in the resurrection, they, meaning human beings, uh, Jesus's church, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. And so just to bring it down to earth, what Jesus is saying is there will be no pleasures, no physical pleasures of marriage, the marriage bed and, and, and all the, the pleasures of eros that we speak of between husband and wife. And what that is getting at is this. I, I want you to do a little mind experiment And I want you to imagine and just build up for yourself. I'm giving you permission to be uh, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-indulging. And just imagine the largest pile of all your deepest longings and your hopes and wishes. Every material, physical, sensual wish that you you could ever hope for. Make as large a pile of that as you can in your mind right now. And what Jesus is saying, this mind-blowing reality of eternity that he is getting on, when he says there is no marriage in heaven, what he's saying is that we will be experiencing a, a perfect life in perfect relationship with God and with one another. And your largest pile of longings measured against life in perfect relationship with God and with one another as his church in the new world is but a soggy, smoldering little matchstick next to the nuclear brilliance and beauty of a billion supernovas. Our appetites are too small. Our lungs and, and definition of happiness is too small. That's how great and mind-blowing eternity will be and this is so relevant and needed in this time is it not as we have this blanket and this shroud of of death over us as a global humanity this past week in the headlines in addition to all the pandemic headlines there's another sad passing perhaps you know the story of jackson buell and this past week Uh, As a tender five-year-old, he passed away, and he passed away from health complications. Uh, He was diagnosed in the womb with a condition uh, which would have him uh, be born with more than 80% of his brain missing and most of his skull missing, as you can see in the picture on the screen. Uh, But his parents... Uh, They are devout followers of Christ. They have placed faith in Christ and they hope in the resurrection. And they decided to still have Jackson and uh, they gave him a fighting chance and sadly he passed away this past week. But listen to the parents cry in this interview and speaking uh, to Jackson. I love you so much, Jackson. I can't wait to see you again someday in your perfect form, running and laughing in heaven. This speaks to as well, the mind-blowing reality of eternity, the imagination exploding reality of eternity that we look forward to, that the simple fact of Jesus' resurrection points to. Not only will we be satisfied beyond our imagination, but we will be healed beyond our imagination every human being that has placed faith in Christ will be found in perfect form, in peak uh, bodily form, and not only perfect relationship with God, but also just in perfect uh, body and doing life as we always meant it to be. And so think now, just extending that to the pandemic, think of all the real stories, the real people, the real loved ones of people who have passed away And if they've placed faith in Christ, then we have a hope that we'll be reunited with them again someday. And so I have to be honest with you here. This hope is only for those who place faith in Christ. Look, I have real friends who have not placed faith in Christ yet. And when we've talked about this new world that Christ offers, and and this honest truth that it's only for those who have placed faith in Christ, they, in sincere uh, words, say to me, Albert, I would rather spend eternity in hell with my loved ones than be separated then from them in this new world that Jesus offers. And I get it. I get why you'd be willing to say that. But what we need to understand, this is, again, a part of the mind-blowing reality. And I don't say this simply. I don't say it belittlingly and, 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 and without sadness in my heart. We need to believe that even being separated from loved ones who don't place faith in Christ, that, that the, the, the nuclear brilliance of a billion supernovas, of, of being with Christ and being a part of his love story in eternity, it will eclipse, it will outshine that, that pain that we experience as we think of not being with our loved ones while we're here on earth. And we try to imagine that and as painful as it is. But that's why, while we're here on this earth, we need to endeavor, make greatest effort to overflow the grace of Christ in word and deed and to keep telling people unashamedly. And that's why we need to hope, finally. We need to remember that Jesus' resurrection is our only ultimate hope. Look, on that Tuesday before Jesus' death and resurrection, We see another exchange after the Sadducees and the Pharisees, another religious political group, they come back to Jesus and picking up in verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, meaning Jesus affirmed there is life after death. And so now the Pharisees are interested well, I want to enter that good eternity. Then what is God's requirement for me to enter that good eternity? So they send their smartest, their brightest, they send a lawyer from their midst and This lawyer asks Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, and I love how the Heidelberg Catechism puts it. It's just a teaching tool uh, in church history. A wonderful set of questions and answers about the Christian faith. And question four uh, poses the same question as this lawyer. What does God's law require of us to enter that good eternity? And Christ teaches us in this, this in summary in Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40, where what we just read, and Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. But I love the Heidelberg Catechism. Follow-up question number five. Can you live up to all this perfectly? No. I have a natural tendency to neglect God and my neighbor. You see, the Pharisees, if you read Matthew's account, they were stunned silent. He had no response because... The Pharisees and this lawyer could have written the Heidelberg Catechism, questions four and five, meaning they know the impossible requirement of God's law. They know their undeniable inability to live up to loving God and neighbor with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus, being compassionate, he points them to hope in the Psalms. And he quotes Psalm 110, And this psalm is a beautiful psalm of God the Father saying to Jesus, come sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. And the last enemy to be defeated is death. And so God is promising Jesus, yes, you are going to die for the sins of humanity, but I will conquer death. I will raise you back from the dead. I will vindicate you. And because of your death and resurrection and people who place faith in you, Because you have fulfilled that great commandment, all those who place faith in you can enter the good eternity, be part of the resurrection love story, and to experience this mind-blowing eternity as they're in union with you. This past week, the Canadian Chief Health Public Officer, Dr. Tam, she did a complete about-face about masks. And now you see people who take their Uh, Physical safety, seriously, they are donning masks. We see more and more people donning masks, even making their own masks. Similarly, Easter, every Easter is calling you and me to do a a complete about face. As we hear Easter's call, as we are reminded of the simple fact of Jesus' historical resurrection, we are called to make a complete about face. If we understand Jesus' resurrection, then we'll be happy to do this complete about-face, to turn to the true cure, to turn our thoughts, our affections, our will, our lives, our deaths, our eternity to the risen Christ. And so I want to leave you with uh, a practical way to do a complete about-face. I hope you rise with Christ. It's an acronym that spells RISE. And R stands for rsvp to jesus's wedding feast by grace through faith i stands for imagine christ's new world let it fuel your imagination and and just the the glorious mind-blowing eternity that we are looking forward to and that will give you strength to get through this life s stands for sing sing through life whether i sleep or wake i am christ's and he is mine Whether meaning I die or live, I am Christ and he is mine. And E stands for endeavor with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to overflow God's grace while you are here on earth. And so I hope you'll pray with me. Lord, help me to understand and be transformed by your resurrection.
0: Amen.